So my dad was serious, uh, to say the least, uh, when it came time to clean cars. And um, hopefully our, our screen starts working here. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, and so my dad was pretty passionate about, obviously, cleaning cars. And so as time would go on, I began to just uh, sharing that with him. And he would, probably about the age of being a teenager, I started to take on some more responsibility. And so we would either go to the driveway and start working, or we would show up at the car wash. And, and man, the moment that that soap hit the car, or the moment in which that last quarter went in the slot, my dad started buzzing around that car like a bee. And, man, he was working. And, and he, he would give me opportunities. He, he would either hand me the brush to be able to uh, start brushing out on a certain area of the car, or I'd be in charge of the water that day, and I'd be working through. And there'd be moments in which um, I wouldn't get it quite right, and so he'd come and he would grab the brush and he would start working there. Or he would get the, 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 the he'd point and say, "No, get the water here, run it off this direction." And it, it was really a, a formative moment of discipleship in my life. And and so often after he would fix or correct it, he would hand it back to me, and I, I would go again. And m- most of the time he was pretty generous. Some of the times he didn't necessarily appreciate very much my mistakes to say the least but but nonetheless i share that moment because uh, one it was formative in my life but two i think it connects well with the text today jesus is going to come to us and begin to talk to us here in matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 24 and he's going to say to us guys don't do this do this and similar like with my dad it was like hey blake don't do it this way this is the way in which you need to do it this is how you are to clean cars and and what's interesting is is jesus is going to to start sharing with us and show us that listen there's something unique about this text and, and if i could maybe just give a little preface to this text what if i could tell you up front today about this text here that it will unveil to you how you value god's kingdom it will speak to you about your inner spiritual condition and it will also reveal to you your true love for God. That's a pretty intense text, isn't it? And guess how Jesus does that? He uses something that you and I know really well, money. Here's the challenge of the text as we begin to look for it today is, is that earthly treasures can often deceive us into believing that this world is all there is and we're secure because of what we have. And furthermore, sometimes we get caught chasing the world and think that we can chase the world and yet still show up in places like this and have a heart that loves God. In fact, this very pursuit reveals for us our blindness and we believe deceptively that we can serve both God and money. Today, I want to set this idea before you, and it's this. How I spend my money reveals what kingdom I value most, the allegiance of my heart, and who I truly love. How I spend my money reveals to me the the kingdom that I value most, the allegiance of my heart, and who I love. So today, let's begin starting here with this first section of Jesus Begins in Matthew 6, 19. And we see this truth. Where we store our treasure shows us which kingdom we value most. It's beginning there in verse 19 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For, listen to this statement, where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. 
See, Jesus, at the very beginning, it's important that you realize today as we talk about treasure and money, Jesus is saying ultimately that shows us where your heart is. Again, for where your treasure is, that location, find where you spend your money. And Jesus says you'll find what you truly love and are passionate about. So it's this moment, again, of laying this before us. But let's look back here again, beginning in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's where moth and rust destroy, and that's where thieves break in and steal. This statement here, lay up, right? It indicates this idea of stacking, and you might think of like Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, right? Like where Scrooge is like stacking up all these coins upon his desk. It indicates this idea of stockpiling or hoarding like wealth or our possessions. And the reason is, is maybe it's for the fact that we love possessions and we desire those, but it also might be because we think those somehow keep us safe. And the reality is our stockpiling, our hoarding reveals that our real security is not in God at all. It's in our wealth. Our security is in our own treasure. Now listen, we, we live in a culture, right? You might hear this and think, well, I don't understand what he's saying. Like, I'm not really worried about moth and rust and right thieves and my stuff's in the bank. And so it doesn't really connect with me. But you have to understand their culture. Right? The cultures are, are different. Our culture is we speak of money in terms of bank accounts, stocks, those type of things so often. But their culture, it was physical possessions. Like think about this. Jesus is going to say it hopefully in, in weeks to come. We'll come to it. But he talks about the fact of clothing. And so think about their culture was that fads and fashion didn't really change over time. So if you had a coat which were really expensive, you would keep it throughout your life. And in fact, it was often something that you would even pass down to others. But think about that. A coat? Now that's something that moth can destroy, right? Or it can corrode, right? Or break down over time. Or in fact, also as Jesus says there, somebody might even come in and steal your coat. It was a real worry, a real danger, right? And Jesus is saying, listen guys, if that's where your treasure is in things of this earth, it can be gone in a flash. Mark Dunn of Founders Ministries notes something I think that's really helpful about this passage. He says, it's important for us to realize first what Jesus is not forbidding. First, there's no ban on possessions themselves. Secondly, there's nothing wrong necessarily with a rainy day. In fact, we see the Old Testament remind us the importance of how the ant stores up, preparing itself for what's coming in winter. Thirdly, we're not to despise, but rather we are to enjoy the good things which Christ has has given us. So this isn't about despising possessions. But specifically, Jesus is speaking here about to his followers of things that this text does forbid. This selfish accumulation of goods, like it's all about luxurious living and like this fact that we don't feel maybe any kind of compelling to help those that are needy. It's foolish fantasy that maybe our life consists in how many possessions that we have. And the fact is that we often anchor our worth in what our possessions tell us. In the larger context about worries, we're going to come to, as we look to verse 25 and on in future weeks, you're going to realize that if your treasure is earthly things, you're never going to have real security. Right? The reality is that you're always going to spend your life being worried. Every day and every moment for you is going to be fragile because the things of this earth are not secure. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to Ecuador, is one of those who was martyred for his faith. But one of his teammates that was there with him, uh, his name was Nate Saint. And Nate Saint writes about two weeks before he dies these words. I want to share them with you. People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. 
they forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. See, the question isn't like, will you spend your life, right, about gaining or losing? The reality is we're all spending our lives. The question is, how and why are you spending your life? What's it for? Like, what's your end? Like, what's your motive? What, what are you truly after? What are you spending it for? And listen, James reminds us of similar verbiage. James, again, remember, the half-brother of Jesus writes in chapter 5 of his letter. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Similar to what Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 6. And then look what he says about riches. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion. So again, he's talking here about gold and silver. Their corrosion, that's what he says, will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James says that if you live for the treasures of this world, in the end, they will testify against you that you have lived for them and they will testify how foolish it was because those things will amount to nothing. In the midst of the coronavirus, I, I share this because of what James is about to say. I'm hearing folks talk more about the end times and in the world coming. Well, James has something to say about that. If you truly believe, as you see all the things that are happening on the horizon, that you think maybe the end of the world's here, or at least it's, it's moving faster in that trajectory, I want to share this with you. Listen to what he says. You have laid up treasure in the last days. He says, listen, how foolish would it be if these are the last days on earth? He says, if, if that's the case, then guess what? You really think it's the end of the days? And James says, well, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Show it by the way that you live. Not just because of your banter or the things that you're saying. Demonstrate it with your life by not storing up treasure here. And so, look, that brings us back here to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 20, again, we're saying that the way we spend our monies reveals what kingdom we value most. Well, Jesus says, listen, guys, here's not how you do it, but here's the way to do it. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we might ask the question, well, why would we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, Jesus says, because they're secure. It's eternal. Like this is, this is a payment that is secure. It's guaranteed, right? There's no chance that it's going to be destroyed or you're going to lose out. He says, this is the most valuable and pay off way, so to speak, that you can live your life. In fact, like we might also ask, well, like, well, how might that look again? How might I lay up for myself treasures in heaven? Like, how can I do that best? Well, again, the context here is, is about finances. And if you remember back a few weeks ago, we were in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, listen, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then he said that statement. For your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, when we give, and it's not about us, but it's about God's glory and, and making His name known amongst the nations. Listen, that's a way in which we can give Right, And you might be saying, well, how might you do that? You might clearly give that by giving to the poor or helping the church or maybe you're helping support a missionary or a ministry. But that's not the only way that we can lay up treasures for ourselves, right? It's not only about finances. It, it also reminds us in this, this very sermon Jesus has been preaching that guess what? The call is to, to love your enemies, to forgive those 
who have offended you. Turn the other cheek. Remember that? To go the extra mile, to, to suffer in the name of Christ. Those are all things, right? And, and many more in ways in which we lay up for ourselves treasures in earth. Why? Because we are treasuring Christ above all else. It's the totality of one's life in which we do this, this action of laying it up. But maybe we might ought to ask also here as we think about the context, not only individually, but collectively or as a community of church. How might this church best spend our finances? And maybe in the midst of this season, we need to ask, well, one of the ways maybe we could lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven is maybe there's churches around here that are struggling financially. Maybe as God's blessed us, we can help support them and and strengthen them during this struggling time. Maybe it's a ministry, again, or a mission that maybe this church just needs to be more intentional to help support us. Maybe they're lacking funding or whatever. God may use us, again, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven by living in a way that says God's kingdom is the one that we value and not the one of this earth. The big picture, again, is to walk away just saying, listen, I'm living my life with a trajectory that says I believe there's a kingdom that's actually coming and this kingdom of this earth is temporary. But here's the tension, beloved. That's not as easy as it sounds. In fact, Jesus is going to say to you and I that it is, in fact, deceptive in our own hearts and that brings us to our second point how i spend my money reveals the true allegiance of my heart it's interesting i think it's in the gospel of luke that jesus says beware of greed it's interesting because he doesn't say beware of places of adultery why because if you're in the bed with someone that isn't your spouse you know it but there's something about greed that's secretive It hides almost beneath the surface. We don't recognize it. And that's where Jesus is going to launch into here as he speaks about the allegiance of our heart as revealed by the way we spend our money. Look what he says, verse 22 of Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The Jewish thought was, is the eye right here, again, is connected to the heart, right? It's saying this is revealing your inner true motives. And what Jesus is trying to reveal to us in this maybe a little bit of a complicated statement is saying, listen, when you seek after treasures of this world, the greed that's within you that drives you to accumulate wealth and to store up for yourself, he says it's blinding and it begins to distort your vision, not only about how you see wealth, but really how you see everything else. It's consuming greed is. It overtakes us. And the reality is, again, look what he says, verse 23. But if your eye's bad, notice what he says here. Your, look what he, here, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's contaminating every area of your life. And Jesus says, here's the danger. You don't see it. You don't recognize it. Like you don't, you're not aware that you're not seeing clearly. You think it's okay, but you're deceiving yourselves and you are deceived. Now listen, as you and I begin to amass wealth and store up treasures and live for the pleasure of this world, we are revealing our blindness to the truth that he has just shared. That the treasures of this world are temporary, but the treasures of heaven are eternal. Randy Alcorn in his book shares a helpful analogy that I thought I might share. The book is The Law of Rewards. And he says this, Imagine in the midst of the Civil War that you're a northerner and you travel to the south and you set up a successful business there. But as time goes on, you realize that, guess what? The South is not going to win, and you have all of this Confederate money. So you 
right? In light of what's going to happen, you realize that you need to trade it in for the new U.S. currency or you need to buy possessions that you can now take with you after the, after the war. The wise thing to do would be just to keep as little Confederate money as you need for everyday expenses, right? But beyond that, you don't need a lot. And he makes this parallel. For us to accumulate vast earthly treasures in the face of the inevitable future is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money. Not only is it wrong, he says it's stupid. Think about that. Are you stockpiling Confederate money, so to speak? I mean, this kingdom is coming to an end. This world is passing away. The things that you hold in your hand are quickly fading. It's like a flower that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like when you go out on a cold morning, your breath is there for a moment and then vanishes. That's what the things of this world are like. Listen, so we might often, all of us, we need to ask, well, listen, even though it's stupid, why are our hearts so bent that way? And Jesus is saying to us here, because we don't see. It's deceptive, greed, this pursuit of the things of this world. And we think that somehow, even as believers, that we can have allegiance to God and also to money. And Jesus says, guys, I want you to know it's not possible. I know that's the way the world lives, but he's going to warn us in Matthew 7. Be aware that wide is the road that leads unto hell, and many there are that are on it. So the way that you spend your finances reveals, first, the kingdom that you believe is most valuable. Secondly, as you spend your money and live your life, you're revealing to yourself and to others where the true allegiance of your heart lies. Third, we see this, who we serve shows whom we truly love. Who we serve shows whom we truly love. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 24 here in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, some of you may think you're the exception of the rule on this statement, but I want to push back on you and my own soul with Jesus' words. Notice what he says again to us. No one can. And he says here, you cannot. Right? It's just, there's no exception to this rule. The only reason why you believe that you're an exception is because, well, you're blind after all. You don't see clearly. Your heart's allegiance is not only to God. It's you also think that you can serve and seek after money. But notice what he says here. It's an interesting statement, but it's a powerful one. No one can serve two masters. This isn't like that you have two employers, like you work one early in the day and then you start and you do another night job, so to speak. These are masters. This is like for that day in that society, you, listen, you only have one master. You're enslaved to only one, and you are at their beckoning call. That is your life. And listen, here's the truth. As you and I come to this text, we've all got to be honest. We have a bent toward this world and the pleasures and treasures of the earth that are temporary. But I want to share with my own soul and to share with your soul today, beloved, that there is hope. There is one who can redeem you from the master of this world. And it takes place in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, 
Paul is writing to the church and he's speaking to them about the fact that the Jewish people, they were enslaved under the law. They could never keep the law good enough. There was no way they could obey the law well enough to like set themselves free. And then he says in Galatians 4 there, verse 8, that those of us who are Gentiles, listen, he says we're enslaved to the demonic beings of this world, right? Ultimately what? We're all enslaved to one master and that master is sin. But Paul writes to the church and says, I want you to know that there's actually a rescue. There's a way out. And it happens by a transformation of your soul. Pick up with me with verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law so that, look what he says there, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's a lot happening here, but I want to be really brief and just share with you a couple things. Notice again, we, speaking of us who are enslaved to sin and under the law, notice what he says, why Christ has come. Here's why, to redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase us, to set us free from the master of slave who rules and has dominion over our lives. Look what he is. Here's why. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons, that we might become children of a new king, that we might, using the verbiage here and that in Matthew chapter 6, that we might have a new master. And we need to ask now, what kind of master is he? Notice what Paul says, how he speaks of our new master in Christ. Listen to this beautiful statement, verse 6 of Galatians 4. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the new master. His name is Father. And this Father loves you so lavishly that He sends His own Son to redeem you and set you free. Now listen, beloved, this is not only about having a new Master and being forgiven. Listen to the beauty of it. God has sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart. If you will repent and believe for it, it is by grace today that you could be saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the blessed gift of God, not by works, so that you and I may not boast. It is the hope and the rescue of the gospel. But I want you to see there that the fact is the spirit of Christ now is in your and my heart that we can obey our new heavenly master whose name is God the Father. It's the beauty and hope of this gospel. It's the only. Listen, if you hear this message today and you think somehow you're going to self-reform your life and you got to just do better at a couple things, you've missed the hope and rescue that's in this text. There's only one that can deliver. There's only one that can redeem. And his name is Jesus Christ, the blessed and only son of God. That's the only hope for us when we come to this text. But this text nonetheless shows to us whom we truly love. Again, back here in verse 24 of Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. And you may be wondering, well, why can't we? Why can't we just live this this, this double life, so to speak? For, he says, here's why. You're going to hate one and you're going to love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Jesus says, Although you may not want to say it with your lips, the way that you are utilizing your finances right this moment reveals whether you love me or not. 
don't rush past that. Don't think about what you got the rest of the day. Hear the words of Christ. This can transform your trajectory for this life and eternity. He says, guys, you can only serve one master. He says, I want you to know that the way again that that you spend your money may reveal the fact that you actually hate him. And this is the hope that we have. Money no longer rules our hearts because we've been set free. But does that mean, Blake, that we don't battle as believers? Of course we battle. Right? I mean, we all have these moments, right, where, where the greed just comes in and, and, right, you just begin to struggle. And that's why, beloved, we've got to hide this word in our hearts. That's why we've got to, this morning, that's why you're spending time right now investing your life under the word of God. That's why you have your children or, or maybe another person that you love and care about spending time under the authority of the word of God. Why? Because you know it's God's word and the power of Christ in you that can transform you from the inside out. Return back to me to the illustration I started with about my dad in the car, right? As we're there washing the car and all the things that are happening, listen, my dad was just kind of telling me different things. My dad's been gone almost six years now, and, and, and here's the amazing thing. When I'm out washing the car and I get quiet, I can hear almost his voice in my head. Blake, don't let the soap dry. Blake, keep moving. Blake, keep the water. Get it up high and chase it on down. I can hear my dad. Guess what? In the same way as we hide God's word in our heart and we come to moments in which like maybe God prompts you, like maybe there's moments that he says, hey, Blake, I want you to help this person or give to help your brothers or sisters in Zimbabwe, right? I mean, whatever God's urging you to do. And my flesh almost, I'll just be honest at times, thinks, well, you know what? I probably need to save that money. Like I've got kids, they're going to need like braces because I know their faces are going to be all, or their mouths going to all be jacked up like mine, right? And I know they're going to need that. I mean, I started thinking about, well, what do we can do with that money? We could do a vacation or maybe help with a new car or like on and on. And like then that's when this word again has to come back. Just like I hear my dad when I'm washing the car, Blake, don't let the soap dry. I have to hear this word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's in those moments by the power of the Spirit and the truth of the Word of God that you and I are propelled to give to let go, to surrender our finances or whatever God is calling us to do for His glory. We might remind ourselves this morning of the great missionary Lottie Moon. We take up an offering each Christmas to honor her and remember her sacrifice and love to take the gospel to the nations. Lottie Moon says these words, Instead of the paltry offerings we make, let's do something that will prove that we really are followers of Him. Might we give so lavishly that other people see us and think that's absolutely crazy? Why would you give your finances that way? Why would you spend your time that way? Why would you live your life in such a trajectory? And we must respond back. Our kingdom is not of this world. This world is temporary. But that kingdom, that one's eternal. So might we maybe just finish today with just sharing like, well, how do you follow him, right? I mean, how might you do this, like Lottie Moon said, in such a way that everybody knows that you're a follower of him? Like, what, what might this look like practically, right? What, what might it, maybe asking this question, what might it look like to spend under a new master and in light of a new kingdom? So maybe three things. One, consider this 
Maybe your job, your vocation, your employment, right? Specifically, I want to speak like to, to younger people, right? It doesn't mean that older people, this doesn't apply, but younger folks, as you right now in your life, you're considering like one day what you might do or what you may go to school for, a vocation for, right? A trade school for, like you're wondering like, what might I do? And I want to caution you in light of this text that if the reason why you are on the trajectory you're on or that career path is because of the mighty dollar, then Jesus would push back to you and say, you don't see. You don't see. You're missing it. Instead, what if, what if, instead of chasing after the mighty dollar in this, you might just begin to say, God, I, this is how you've created me. This is the passions you've gifted me with. This is what I sense, God, you're doing. But Lord, I'm just going to spend some time praying, fasting, and saying, God, what might you want me to do with my life? What if you today, maybe as a fourth grader, fifth grader, you just begin to ask, God, how might I live my life and leverage it for your kingdom? What if it wasn't about the finances of this world, but it was for your kingdom? I share with you maybe a story of encouragement. The name is William Borden. You may not know him because he lived and died in the early 1900s. He was from the famous millionaire, the Borden Milk family, right? And this company was lavish, but he walks away from it all to be a missionary in Egypt. He hasn't been in Egypt but a few months, and he contracts meningitis, and he dies. On his deathbed, there's someone there who's conversing with him, and he asks him simply a question. Do you think now, in light of the fact that you left those millions and you came here and Right, you, I mean, you've died. He says, do you think maybe coming to Egypt was a mistake? Borden is so sick that he can't speak. He just asks for a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes two words. No regret. William Borden, a son of a millionaire who had inherited a large company, is buried somewhere in a small, inconspicuous place in Cairo, Egypt. If you find his tombstone, you're going to see his name, the date of birth and the date of death, and then this small little epitaph, and it reads this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for a life such as this. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. I share that with you young folks today, that you might consider what God is calling you to do. And to everyone else, it makes absolutely no sense why you would do it, except for faith in Christ. That's your explanation of why you aren't chasing the dollars of this world, but instead you are saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum today, maybe just some application, not of those who are thinking about employment. Others of you are maybe at the other end and you're thinking about retirement. And maybe along the way you bought into this American dream that retirement's about mass up as much money as you can and live your best life now, so to speak. I think this text has to push back on your and my heart in that moment and saying, God, how could I best in retirement not honor myself, but in fact, honor you? How could maybe, Lord, you utilize how you bless me to help the poor or strengthen the church or support a missionary or a ministry? Maybe right now in the midst of a retirement, you might consider, Lord, instead of my next big purchase, maybe there's a young family around. Maybe they're trying to make ends meet and they're struggling, but there's a, there's a young man or a young woman in that house that maybe by going back to school or going to a trade school, right, they could get a better education. They would just have a better opportunity to provide for their families. Maybe you could be a part of, of helping financially to send them back. Or maybe you'd say, Blake, listen, I'm in retirement and I just don't have those kind of finances. But maybe you have time. 
And so for that young family, instead of giving finances, maybe you could give time and you could help watch kids at night so they could go to school or spend time studying. I'm just compelling you in light of this gospel and the fact that you are to lay up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. How could you leverage your retirement for the glory and the kingdom of God? Is that not beautiful? Is that not glorious? Is that not something fuller than maybe what you've been after, the carrot you've been chasing, the dream that you bought into? John Piper says these words, if you have money and depend on it, it will kill you. If you don't have it and crave it, it will kill you. Third and last, in light of Mother's Day, I think maybe just a brief moment of application to moms in light of this text. Maybe moms might ask, how am I leveraging my life in such a way that it displays to my children that I value the kingdom of heaven more than the kingdom of earth? Maybe there's practical ways of maybe just helping provide meals for an elderly family or going to visit a widow or a shut-in after COVID-19 is, is relaxed, right? I mean, so again, maybe it's just you as a family adopting a missionary that you could pray for, or send letters of encouragement, or maybe even financially support in some way. But what if maybe these three categories, I, in studying this sermon, these three categories were there, and I just saw them and, uh, as, as another brother shared them, and I wanted to just maybe share them with you, Mom. What if you displayed your life not by first being a spender, Right. See, a spender thinks that monies and finances are are ultimately to provide happiness right now through nice stuff. On the other end from the spender is the saver. And they think money was actually here to provide me with security for my future. But I think that we have to see in this text and in light of the scriptures that the woman of God is, guess what? Not necessarily a spender nor a saver. She's a steward. And she says, God, how could I spend as little as I need to? And God, how could I save as little as I need to so that I could give extravagantly and to the best of my ability to God and His kingdom? Mamas, I want to compel you, ladies of the church, let us be stewards who show that you value and your heart is set on a kingdom and a master who has set you free. And the Son says, if if you are set free, you are free indeed. Man, what a great source of hope and encouragement I pray that will be to you and your family. I shared with you earlier, Jim Elliott, again, who was a missionary to Ecuador. And I'm going to leave you with this quote. He says this again as he was martyred for his faith. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hear that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose gbc where is your treasure would you pray with me father i pray now god that you would speak father i pray that you would draw men and women boys and girls to you god would you transform our hearts and our minds that we would love to give freely and graciously i pray it for the glory of jesus christ in his name i pray amen This morning, listen, you may be at home and you're wondering, how might I respond to this new master? I want to compel you to respond to the new master, and his name is Jesus. By repenting of your sins. That's acknowledging your way of life, the way of greed, the way of treasuring the things of this world is wrong. You acknowledge that, but you can't set yourself free. You know that. But you now, believing that Jesus Christ came and he came to redeem, to ransom you, just as we read there in Galatians chapter 4. He came to set you free, and He did so by giving His own life, dying in your place for the sin debt that you owe to God. 
Today, if you would believe on him, God credits his perfect life to you. As he died, as if he lived your life. Beloved, if you will repent and believe on this gospel, confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Paul says to us in Galatians 4 that God would send the spirit of his son into your heart by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Today, would you repent and believe? If you do, man, we would love to talk with you. God bless you. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.